0: Welcome to The Mushroom Show, this is episode 19. My name is Tony Shields and this is the place where you wanna be if you're interested in all things mushrooms. On The Mushroom Show, we talk about things like mycotechnology, we talk about functional mushrooms, we talk about mushroom foraging, and of course, try to keep you up to date on all the things changing in the world of psilocybin mushrooms. Now, if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, it would mean the world to me if you go ahead and hit that like button. It really does help the channel grow help spread the spores, get the show out to more people. And if you wanna see future episodes of the show, be sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. On this episode, we're gonna be diving into a fascinating new study that tries to pinpoint the dollar value that fungi contribute to the global economy. And I guarantee you, it is way more than you could ever imagine. We're also going to be diving into the ancient mystery of Proto-Taxis and try to determine whether or not the world really was once covered in giant skyscraper-sized mushrooms. But first, let's take a real quick trip into the forest. Now, you might have heard the saying, fish where the fish are. And let me tell you, the same thing applies to mushrooms. Now, I kind of know this intuitively but experienced it on a whole nother level last week when my friend, Eric Whitehead from Untamed Feast sent me a text and said, hey, come on out. I'm going to hunt some mushrooms. There's lots of them popping off right now. And uh, I want you to join me. He was actually going out to look for a mushroom that I had mentioned on the last episode of the mushroom show, a mushroom called red cap or Scaberstalk, also known as Lacinum insignia. It's kind of like a cousin of Porcini that's often thought to be way less interesting, way less, delicious and way less desirable than porcini. But here's something interesting about this mushroom. Apparently the way to do it is if you first dry them and then rehydrate them, they are absolutely delicious. Yeah, dried, they dry up gray, black. They look like hell, but they have this amazing carame- caramelly like flavor and smell. They're one of my favorite mushrooms once dry. I like it more than porcini. Now, originally I thought this would be a great opportunity to take you along into the forest with Eric, bring my camera and do a little episode with an absolute pro and show you how it's done, but it only took about three minutes before my camera ran out of battery. Unfortunately, I didn't properly charge it, but I did get a few clips that I can show you and it didn't really matter too much anyways because it didn't take much longer than that in order to fill up an entire five gallon bucket worth of these mushrooms. They were just absolutely everywhere. You almost couldn't walk through the forest without stepping on them. Now, when these mushrooms do grow big, they get full of bugs and they're not all that great, but when you find them young, they're apparently really delicious, like Eric mentioned, and you just gotta dry them quickly. And we had such an abundance of mushrooms that it was easy to find these mushrooms in all different levels of their growth cycle, from little tiny ones to nice big ones, different colors of them and all this kind of stuff. So it was just amazing to see. I've been in this particular uh, trail uh, basically two times a day every summer for the last four or five years and I've never seen anything quite like it. So we must be having a really good mushroom season for the red caps. It's unfortunate I couldn't get like a full episode with Eric kind of teaching you all about these mushrooms, but hey, maybe we can get that on the next one. And we still got a really good haul. So overall, it was a good trip. On to our first story. Now, to me, and I'm sure many people watching this show, you might feel that mushrooms really are priceless. Our world just would not operate the same if we didn't have fungi, if we didn't have the fifth kingdom. But according to some researchers, you can actually put a price on this. You can put a real dollar value to the contribution of fungi to our global economy. There was a recently published study that outlines the contribution of fungi to our global economy. And the headline number they came up with was absolutely massive. They said, our estimate is 54.57 trillion. That's trillion with a T. In other words, 54,570 billion. It's just an astronomically huge number. And when I saw this headline, I thought, okay, I got to dig into this. I got to see what's going on. How could they possibly come up with such an enormous Number I know mushrooms do a lot, but 55 trillion worth is pretty wild. So again, here is the paper, and I will put the link in the description if anyone wants to go and read it. It actually is pretty interesting to go through this whole paper. But one of the first things I'll call out is this data sources idea, and it says, Online market research reports are the main source for the market value of fungal products used in our study. But I will be the first to tell you that a lot of these studies aren't necessarily that reliable. It's just really hard to come up with these kinds of numbers and this kind of data. And I know this for a fact, because for example, I'll often see research reports that say, here are like the big players in the mushroom mycelium market. And quite often, FreshCap gets listed on this. And really, we don't have anything to do with the global mycelium market. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know where they would get that information or why would they, they would be publishing it. But either way, you know, all, anytime you see this kind of market research report for fungi trying to tell you what they're doing, take it with a grain of salt also it seems like a lot of the values that they came up with in order to add up to this 54.57 trillion could have been pretty inflated for example it says right here on the paper for numerous industries that rely on fungi for the production processes we have assumed that the total industry value as of the value of fungi as it is impossible to disentangle the values of individual ingredients and these products would not exist without the fungi involved. So basically they said, as long as fungi have some sort of role in producing these products, then we're gonna take the entire value of that product and use it to add up uh, to get to this 54.57 trillion. And I kind of get that methodology, right? Like I said at the start of the segment, if mushrooms didn't exist, there'd be a lot of stuff that we don't have. And mushrooms do play such a critical role in so many aspects of life, but to sum up the entire value of that entire economy or economic contribution seems to be a little bit overinflated. But still, it's kind of a fun study, and the reason I wanted to go over this was just to really hammer home the point of how important the fifth kingdom is to our everyday lives. Now, the paper starts off with a really big number right away talking about the biggest chunk of that value. And that is apparently the value of carbon stocks being traded from forests. So basically what they're saying is one of the most important things that mycelium or fungi or mushrooms do is carbon sequestration. We have talked about this quite a bit before on the show. And it's this idea that, yeah, mushrooms globally act as a massive carbon sink. And that might be kind of counterintuitive because mushrooms, as we know, breathe quite a bit like humans in that they take in oxygen and they actually give off CO2 So you'd think that if there's all these mushrooms all over the place, they would actually be adding carbon into the atmosphere, but the fact that they use carbon to build the mycelial network, the fact that they support trees that photosynthesize and use carbon, that all goes back to the idea that net-net, mushrooms are actually a source of carbon sequestration and not a source of carbon production. So to figure out how much that is worth is uh, quite the exercise, but they go through the entire calculation. And they basically say that if you can figure out how much these carbon credits are worth, they basically put a price of carbon per ton. And the number that they came up with to describe the value of that carbon sequestration is 52.333 billion. So right away, $52.3 trillion of economic value because mushrooms are holding on to carbon. So basically the idea is that if mushrooms all of a sudden went poof, all this carbon would go into the atmosphere and that would be pricey that would cost 52.3 trillion dollars of economic impact and the way that they came up with this number was basically using the value of carbon credits per ton and then trying to figure out how much carbon mushrooms can actually hold and then just simply multiplying that so if they got 86 dollars 86 us dollars per ton multiply that by the amount of carbon that mushrooms are responsible for sequestering in our soils and in our forests that number is 52.3 trillion. Now you might quickly point out that that is the majority of the overall headline number of 54.57 trillion. It's actually about 96% of that number. So right away, it's like, okay, that 54.57 trillion number was a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit elevated when 96% of it is just based on this one carbon sequestration idea. Um, and it just makes me wonder like how many how many people are gonna use that huge headline number in their pitch decks for like, I don't know, talking about their their new mushroom business that has a total addressable market of 54 trillion, not really quite the way it works. But you might be wondering, what is the other 4%, right? 4% of that number is still over 2 trillion, which is a lot of economic value. So where is all that coming from? Now, as we know, mushrooms are producing crazy chemicals all the time. Some of those chemicals have serious medicinal value. And one of the most obvious ones is something like penicillin, which, S is produced by a fungus. Penicillin is still one of the most widely used antibiotics today and according to this report it has a total market value of about 1.96 billion dollars. But it's not just penicillin, there are other fungi that make other compounds that are used for antibiotics, specifically something like cephalosporin which has been used for strep and for meningitis and for staphylococcus and for all sorts of other things, it's also been used for people who are allergic to or can't use penicillin. Now this market, according to the paper, is about nine times bigger at 18.7 billion US dollars. What's wild is that even if you just think of those two things, right, penicillin and cephalosporin, if that's the only two things that fungi ever contributed to our modern world, it's still absolutely incredible and changed the way that we're able to live. So those are the two big ones, but the paper also lists a number of other economically important drugs that are derived from fungi including cardiovascular drugs like statins immune modulating drugs and also not typically categorizes drugs but some functional mushrooms like cordyceps which is apparently a 1.5 billion dollar market and a reishi which is apparently a 3.1 billion dollar market it is a little weird though because they talk about cordyceps twice in this report once in the medicine section but again in the functional food and nutrition Section where cordyceps is apparently another five to eleven billion dollar market. They also talked about lion's mane here, with the value put at around nine hundred and seventy eight million seems kind of arbitrary or about five to ten times smaller than cordyceps, which seemed kind of weird to me because if you look at Amazon, for example, or even in my experience with FreshCap, almost always the top selling products are all the lion's mane products. It really is the most popular functional mushroom in the world right now, or at least in North America, by a long shot. Plus, consider the fact that lion's mane is not only a nutraceutical mushroom, but it's also grown and sold as a gourmet mushroom. So it's really pulling double duty, whereas cordyceps, not really the same. So either the data is dated, or the trends elsewhere are a lot different than they are in the U.S. and Canada, or there's some fundamental misunderstanding in the data. Now, for the rest of the food section in this report, which again, I really recommend going through, it's pretty fascinating, but I I think here the study takes some more liberties in terms of taking credit for entire industries when fungi might really only play a small role in that. For example, taking credit for things like cheese, which has a market value of 231 billion, all baked goods, which has a market value of almost 500 billion, and all alcohol, like beer, wine, vodka, gin, tequila, rum, whiskey, together with over $1 trillion of combined economic value. They even claim the entire market value of chocolate because, interestingly enough, the flavors from chocolate come through from the fermentation of the beans, fermentation caused by fungi but also coffee which is another massive market at 102 billion dollars although they did admit that this is an overestimation because it's really hard to know how much of the coffee output is actually dependent on yeast formation. Again yeast is considered part of the kingdom fungi although a lot of people don't really think of it as a mushroom but That's why it's included in this report. And it kind of goes on and on like this so I won't really bore you with all the details but fungi is critical and important in the production of things like vinegar and soy sauce and miso and kombucha and also outside of products that are food related like mycopesticides and cosmetics and a whole slew of enzymes and food additives with huge centimillions or billion dollar markets. And we haven't even got to mushrooms just as a food yet which I thought was really interesting. Now the worldwide production of mushrooms was 42,590,000 tons, which is an insane amount when you think about it. Although it seems like that is including both wild foraged mushrooms along with cultivated mushrooms, with the cultivated mushrooms estimated to be about half or about 54% of that total. So us humans are really doing our best to help the kingdom fungi dominate by cultivating well over 20 million tons of mushrooms every single year. Again, I really do recommend that you dig in and read this report. It is fascinating. And if nothing else, it should give you a massive appreciation of all the ways fungi are involved in our daily lives. But again, I'll warn you, it goes into excruciating detail. For example, just trying to calculate the economic value of recreational foraging in just Spain. It reads, the average recreational surplus in Spain is $33 per trip with 23% of the adult population experiencing mushroom picking at least once per year. And it has references for all of these things as well. Spain has around 38.6 million adults, which multiplied to 0.23 is equal to 8.9 million adults, which are experiencing mushroom picking once a year. Each of these 8.9 million adults has a recreational surplus of $33 per trip. Thus, the total recreational surplus is 293 million per year in Spain. Now, do this for every country or every region in the world, and you might get close to figuring out the economic value of wild mushroom picking recreationally. Now, another thing I found kind of interesting about this report is that nowhere in it does it mention psilocybin, which is probably already a pretty significant market because of all the publicly traded companies, for example, that are dealing with psilocybin, but it's only poised to grow significantly over the next five, 10 plus years. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets intertwined or how that gets considered as economic contribution, but with all the pitch decks and all the companies raising money for psilocybin, I'm pretty sure somebody's already looking into that. The bottom line though, is it doesn't really matter what kind of crazy calculations you can do to figure out the global economic value of mushrooms, because again, mushrooms really are priceless. If we didn't have them in our lives, things would be a lot different. A lot of our favorite things wouldn't exist we might not even be here. This episode of The Mushroom Show is brought to you by FreshCap Mushrooms. Now, I don't always do an ad read on this show, but I did do a survey not that long ago on YouTube, and it turns out more than half of you mycophiles or people that are subscribed to the channel had no idea that Fresh Cap actually does have pure and powerful mushroom powders and capsules to help support your health goals. Functional mushrooms are an absolute passion of mine, and in fact, one of the reasons why we started Fresh Cap in the first place was so that there could be supplements that would really do justice and live up to some of the powerful properties that mushrooms have. So if this is something you're interested in, go ahead and check it out. We are on Amazon, so go ahead and search for us over there, or you can head over to freshcap.com where you can use code THEMUSHROOMSHOW to save 10% off your first order. Let's get back to the show. If you were to go ask a random person, hey, what do you think is the largest organism in the world? You might get the common answer like the blue whale, which is, yeah, it's a pretty big animal. It's usually measured in school buses. But if they could think maybe beyond the animal kingdom, you might hear an answer like it's the great redwood, which is these enormous trees. And yeah, those are pretty big too. But in reality, the largest organism in the world is actually a mushroom. It's a honey fungus that grows in Oregon, and I have talked about this on the show before. Basically, it's a massive underground network of mycelium. It's the size of about 1,600 football fields, which does, in fact, fruit honey mushrooms. When you hear that the world's largest organism is a mushroom, you're probably picturing some giant mushroom that's actually, you know, this huge fruiting body that's two stories tall, But unfortunately, that's not true. This picture is Photoshopped, of course, and I thought it was actually pretty funny. The Snopes article that I got this from called this Boletus Photoshoppus. So yes, unfortunately, that is Photoshopped. Giant fruiting bodies don't currently exist, but it's possible that they used to. Or at least that's the argument made by scientists over the last hundred years or so that have discovered fossils thought to be the remnants of a giant mushroom. So long before humans, long before dinosaurs, long before any of that, Apparently, the world was under the spell of a giant fungus. This is post-recording editing, Tony, here. And just a quick note, I don't know if I was tired when I recorded this or what, but the mushroom is called prototaxites. And for some reason, every single time I said it in this segment, I said prototaxis. So just imagine every time I say prototaxis, I mean to say prototaxites. Thanks. It's called prototaxis, and although there's no way to know what they actually would have looked like, you can imagine them as these gigantic protrusions that were more than 3 feet wide and would have reached well over 20 feet tall an actual humongous fungus shooting giant spores all over the place. It's kind of creepy to think about, right? There would have been these giant mushrooms that were you know, consuming all of the dead material around them, and they would have been growing really fastly and having all these characteristics that we know of mushrooms today, but just giant. So this idea is still up for debate, and although we'll probably never know for sure, scientists are continuing to unveil clues as to the true nature of proto But here's a quick history of how this came about. So over 150 years ago, fossils of these things were first discovered in Eastern Canada. And a scientist named John William Dawson studied them and tried to figure out what the heck they were because it didn't really align with anything else in the record. So imagine being him and looking at these giant tree-like fossils, you'd probably just assume that it was a tree. And that's basically what he did with a slight distinction of calling it a tree with some fungal characteristics because I guess the fossil did express some sort of fungal characteristics, but he assumed that it was just an actual tree that might have been infected with a mushroom or might have been in the process of being decomposed by a mushroom, so he just figured it was a tree with those characteristics and called it prototaxis, which I guess, botanically speaking, makes sense for the fact that it was a tree. Now, that seemed to be a good enough explanation until about 30 years later, when another scientist, William Carruthers, came along and thought that John's idea was ridiculous. He insisted that it be called nematophagus or in other words stringy algae because he thought it was not a tree at all but a giant algae that would have grown in the ocean despite all the other evidence that suggested it actually grew on land. Now these two guys fought over it for years one thinking it was a algae the other thinking it was a tree and it really didn't matter because apparently they were both wrong. Because in 2001 Francis Huber published a paper which was a result of over 20 years of trying to research this thing, which deduced for the first time that this was actually a fungus. Now I want to read you what Francis called the purpose of this paper, just because it really shows like the insane level of dedication you would need to actually figure this out. So he said, this report has a triple purpose. Number one, to name, as neotype, a recognizable specimen collected by Dawson for which the locality and stratigraphic data are known. Number two, to redescribe the genus as structurally composed of three interactive forms of hyphae in other words, large thin-walled septate branching generative hyphae, large thick-walled non-septate skeletal hyphae, and small thin-walled septate branching binding hyphae which combine to form a gigantic phototrophic amphigenous perennial sporophore with saprobic nutrition and number 3 to classify it in the kingdom fungi. Now, this idea, of course, seemed a little crazy, right? A giant fungus that doesn't exist today that at one point dominated over the earth. And because of that, it was met with some pretty serious skepticism. But remember, Huber spent over 20 years studying this, but this report was basically just him looking at the fossils and kind of trying to look at some of these structures and using that to determine, hey, these are way more fungal-like than anything else. This is not proof, of course, but it did seem pretty reasonable. Then in 2007, Huber and some other scientists did some isotropic analysis. Basically, in other words, studying the carbon inside of the organism and found that prototaxis did indeed exhibit characteristics of fungi. More specifically, showed that it didn't photosynthesize like plants do, but instead it fed on a range of different substrates, such as all the dead stuff that would have been lying around. And I guess there was a lot of it back then. The difference between eating the dead stuff around you and getting your energy from photosynthesis Synthesis is, of course, one of the things that differentiates plants and fungi, which is just more proof that this was actually a mushroom. And I really do wish with all my heart that these giant mushrooms still existed, that picturing something like the Mushroom Kingdom from Mario or like the, uh, the mushroom biome in Minecraft, how cool would it be to actually have these giant mushrooms all around that would grow really fast Uh, It would just be, be a whole different world. Even cooler to think about, imagine if these mushrooms were actually edible or maybe even functional or maybe even psychoactive. And another cool thing to think about is just like, imagine how many things that might have existed, like giant mushrooms or giant other animals or just giant weird things, that we have no idea about because we don't have a record of them today, your imagination can really run wild on this idea. Now to kind of throw a wet blanket on this idea of giant mushrooms, there was a more recent paper that was published in 2022, which suggested that these proto didn't actually grow straight up like giant skyscrapers, but instead they may have grown horizontally similar to modern complex aggregated mycelial growth forms such as cords and rhizomorphs. And funny enough to take this full circle, they say that their study of prototaxis reveals striking anatomical similarities with modern fungal rhizomorphs our malaria melea, which is the scientific name for honey mushroom, the slightly disappointing largest organism in the world that I was talking about at the start of this segment. That's it for this episode of The Mushroom Show. Thank you so much for watching. It really is an honor to be able to come up here every couple of weeks and chat mushrooms. Now, if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, it really would mean the world to me if you go ahead and hit that like button. It really does help the channel get out to more people. And if you want to see future episodes of the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. It really does help the channel grow. If you want to stay in touch between episodes of The Mushroom Show, I spend a fair amount of time on Twitter. My handle is at FreshCapTony. You go ahead there and just hang out. I like to do research for The Mushroom Show, interact with the mushroom community, and it's just such a great place to connect. So go ahead and hit me up there, at FreshCapTony. Again, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next episode.